Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Uh, my Gazette colleague, Will Springs, uh, returns for another week, and we'll talk about uh, the college lacrosse scene here in the Capital Region as uh, we get set. Uh, and we move a little bit closer to uh, conference tournament play for the teams in the area. For New York Jets fans, the long national nightmare is over. Aaron Rodgers is now the Jets quarterback. The trade was, came down late Monday afternoon. And to talk about that, the implications when it comes to the draft is Dennis Wazak Jr., who covers the Jets and pro football for the Associated Press. Uh, Dennis, welcome back to the podcast. And I have to do full disclosure here because uh, you and I talked at 12 noon on Monday. We're taking this now about 7.50 on uh, Monday night. And we had talked about the possibility of what was going to happen with the Rodgers situation. Four and a half hours later, everything breaks loose. And it's like, I'm thinking, oh, God. And it's like, I, I, we spent 20 minutes talking, and like it's not going to go to air. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, it, we made it happen, right? We yeah. uh, we, we willed it. We, we spoke it into existence. And, I, I mean, hey, Ken, if we knew that we we had that kind of power, we should have done this two months ago, you know? <laughs> I know, really. Joe Douglas you know, we put us on the payroll. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> so, so what are the implications? Did you talk about the deal, what what the Jets gave up, what the Packers gave up besides Rodgers? It's interesting because the – so the Packers – the Jets get the number 15 pick this year and a 2023 fifth rounder. So they're getting two picks for this year with Rodgers. And the Jets are sending to Green Bay the number 13 pick – one of the two second rounders that they the Jets had this year, number forty-two, is the first of the two uh, consecutive picks in the second round. Um, a sixth round pick, and then this is where it's interesting. It's a conditional twenty twenty-four second round pick that becomes a first round pick if Rodgers plays sixty-five percent of the plays. So um, you're looking at probably here now two first round picks. And a second round pick that you're giving up for Aaron Rodgers. Um, the other, the other thing that will come into play is the contract, and um, the Packers have to do a little bit of work. That's why it, at this time it's not officially official. Mm-hmm. Both sides have agreed on the deal, um, but they, the Packers have to do some work with the contract, and I think there, there will be some reworked. Uh, aspects of the contract for when he becomes a jet to help clear some space and, and make it work for New York and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, so the jets went all in, they, they, they gave up a first round pick. They gave up what will probably be a first round pick for next year. And I would think that by doing that, they are pretty confident that Aaron Rodgers is not a one and done that he is committing to at least two years playing for the Jets. And I think that's what, if you're the Jets and you're a Jets fan, having a two-year window to with Aaron Rodgers to lead you back to the playoffs and for this franchise, hopefully far into the playoffs, because that's the hope and the expectation now. I think uh, it's a pretty good deal. Does this automatically make the Jets Super Bowl contenders? 
it's hard to say that now because it seems so I mean look this is a franchise that's been struggling so much for the past you know dozen years and they haven't made the playoffs they've come close you know once or twice and um, they showed some promise and then they just kind of bottomed out at the end of last season there's talent there's no doubt there's talent on this team. The defense is terrific. I think they helped themselves by making a couple of moves in the offseason um, in free agency. The offense itself has some young playmakers. And now you throw in a guy like Aaron Rodgers who, let's face it, he is one of the best passers in NFL history. He's, he's a tremendous decision maker, thrower of the football, all of the above. He'll be in the Hall of Fame after his career's done. The Jets haven't had this type of person. You know, they really have not had this type of player since Favre, really. When, you know, and that's, you know, 15 years later. But I think Aaron Rodgers is in a better spot physically and and skill-wise than even Favre was at that point. Even though Rodgers is coming off of a year where he was banged up, he had a broken thumb, all of that. I think with the young talent around him, he's going to be able to lift the, these guys up and surely make them playoff contenders, and, and not just playoff contenders, but division title contenders. And you know, let's see before before we could go to Super Bowl. I, I want to see what they can do against Mahomes and the Chiefs and Josh Allen and the Bills and, he, and even two in the Dolphins. You know, who were improved as well. So. Um, I, I think this is a good step toward that, though. Yeah, Rodgers is 39. Uh, he, he, you said he was banged up this past season. But for the most part, for his career, he has not really been physically hit. Obviously, the, the, the rules uh, help, uh, you know, roughing the, the roughing the pass rules help in a way where the you know, quarterbacks are sort of not touched as much as they used to be. So, I mean, how much you said maybe two years? Do you think he has more than two years in him? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, it, this is the type of move where I, I think, you see, I, I've started to question the whole thing, and I'm sure a lot of people did when we heard Aaron Rodgers talk to on the Pat McAfee show when he announced his intentions to play and to play for the Jets, that he was 90% retired when he went into his darkness retreat in February. And that, that kind of made me think, huh, you know, this guy was already thinking, really thinking I'm, I'm good. I'm done. And I think once he heard that the Packers were kind of, you know, not communicating with him and, and thinking about moving on, I think he, a fire got lit under him again and he's motivated and I think he's motivated to win. And, and we know Aaron Rodgers. you know, let's face it. He's got a big ego. Yep. And he he wants to win, and he's he, at this point in his career he wants to prove something. And believe it or not, I mean, and and this is a chance for him to add to his legacy, which is already tremendous because of what he did in Green Bay. But he knows that he's coming here as as a savior, as a guy who could bring them to the next level and beyond. And I'm sure that fires him up, and he knows like, hey, if, if this, if I'm having fun and we're winning, well, if I could still play, uh, I'll still play two or three years. So um, we've seen it happen, right? We've seen Brady do it and Drew Brees and, and others, guys who have been able to stay healthy into their 40s and perform at a high level. And um, 
you know, I, I'm not going to doubt Aaron Rodgers at this point. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he's as you he has an ego. We mentioned you mentioned that, and I think sort of a diva-like quality about him, especially you know, going through the uh, dark situation there. <laughs> meditate, whatever you want to call it. But uh, maybe in Green Bay, the media there is not as tough on him and dealing with that. But he's going to go to a a New York media that is very sometimes difficult to uh, deal with. Uh, How do you think they'll treat – I mean, if Rogers starts to pull that diva act, I mean, I I would think the New York media is going to call him out. Yeah, I I think that will happen if he he does that. But – I don't know that he cares. I, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, he's going to do what he wants to do and how he does it. And um, I, I think, um, I mean, look, look, look what happened in Green Bay with the whole uh, vaccination question and what he, he and, and whether he's going to play and whether, you know, what he's doing. He sets his own agenda. And I think he's going to try to continue to do that or else he's not going to answer the questions and people will press and he won't care. I think that's really his approach. I think he's been around long enough. He knows. Um, he's had the spotlight on him, even though he's played in Green Bay. I mean, he's he is one of the top players we've seen in the league over the last 25 years. You know, he's he's a guy who has reached those heights. He's He transcends the sport in some ways. Um, I mean, the, the guy hosted Jeopardy, you know, yeah. so, so he, he's, he's used to the spotlight. I think he knows how to handle it. He's coming in here, eyes wide open. He knows what the New York media supposedly is. I'm part of that, but you know, I, I think that gets over overstated sometimes, but because I think there are numbers in the New York media and the New York, New York, New Jersey area that there are a lot of us, you know, there are a lot of cameras there are a lot of reporters so there are going to be questions that will be asked that might not have been asked you know in a smaller market um but i I think he'll be fine i think he'll take it on and 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 really like i said just play to his own agenda yeah of course the advent of social media over the last decade or so i mean i didn't got more people out there whether they they reporters or not just uh, you know it's tweeting stuff out there but it's, it's crazy uh what is this how much of a win is this for general manager joe douglas it's a big win and i think the thing to keep in mind here is that when you look at the compensation and what the jets had to give up i think if you're joe douglas and robert sala you're looking at the jets going into the season if you don't win and you don't make the playoffs, you're probably not here next year. So at that point, you say, hey, we might as well go all in on Aaron Rodgers because if we're going to, you know, just if our futures are tied to, to anybody, might as well be Aaron Rodgers. So let's ride with, with Rodgers and see what happens. So um, I think as far as Joe Douglas, he's built a program here where they – he, he knows how to try to build it. Now he's got a player who can put them over the top. Now he truly has that guy. So I think that's big for Joe Douglas, and I think it's big for the Jets and Robert Sala. They have a guy now who's a, he, he's, he's got respect, you know, and he's got the accomplishments. He walks into the locker room, all those guys, the first day when he shows up, everybody will be like, oh, man. It's Aaron Rodgers. Maybe not Alan Lazard because he, he's so close to him. He, he's played with him, you know, and we're like, oh, that's my guy. 
But everybody else, all these young Jets will be like, I've seen that. I saw it when Favre became a Jet. Mm -hmm. And that was the reaction, you know. And and it it gives your team instant credibility. And I think for Joe Douglas, um, him coming here, Aaron Rodgers, gives the Jets immediate credibility and gives Joe Douglas the last piece that he really needed to, to really try to put this team into a winning type of uh, uh, situation. How much does this trade uh, put the Jets in the national spotlight now for you know, prime time games? The only games they've been in prime time is those Thursday games. We don't see them on Sunday Night Football. It's been probably been a while since they've been on Sunday Night Football, but now, I mean, they could be uh, get a couple games there. I, I know they go to Philadelphia th- uh, this season, so that could be a maybe a potential Sunday night game and maybe some, you know, late afternoon windows where they're, they're part of the, the big uh, double headers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for sure that's going to happen. I, I think um, if you're the networks and you're the league, you want Aaron Rodgers on primetime. I mean, look how many times the Packers were always on, you know, and they weren't that good a team last year and they were still on all the time. He, he draws people. You know, he draws he draws attention because of the way he plays and, and the, the what he can do on the field. He's he's a marquee player, like I said, and you know, he's one of those guys like Mahomes and Allen and um you, you know, some of these other guys, even like when Brady was playing, you wanted to see. And even if you were not a Jets fan, you wanted to to see a great player play. And there will be tremendous interest just seeing first, hey, I wonder if Aaron Rodgers still has it. And he's now on a new team. That that's that will pique people's interest right right off the bat. Just seeing him in a Jets uniform. So I think there will be quite a few. In fact, um, one of the uh, a, a few of the beat writers we were kind of chatting with each other like during this whole thing. And it's like say goodbye to the, all those one o'clock games because uh, <laughs> we're we're gonna have some late nights uh, during this season, probably next. So. Um, yeah, I think um, there'll be primetime players for sure, I think, because of Rodgers. The biggest question I don't think has probably had to be asked uh, at the press conference uh, when they do introduce Aaron Rodgers, what number is he going to wear? 12 is retired, Joe Namath. Yeah, apparently, um, I think it was ESPN or NFL Network, I'm not sure who, um, said you know, based on a source that he's going to wear number eight, which was his college number when he played a cow. And that makes sense because the Jets haven't had too many number eights. There's nobody now. And I think when I think of number eight with the Jets, I think Browning Nagel wore number eight. Um, you know, they, they, they haven't had, I think uh, Mark Brunell when he was, yeah. was here wore number eight. So there isn't a long history of great eights uh, with the Jets. And so I think he takes that number. Um, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I'm sure he'll probably announce that, uh, you know, when he joins the Jets officially, like you said, and they have the press conference. And I think um, if that's a good move, um, even though Joe Namath had given his blessing for Aaron Rodgers to take the number 12, his retired number, if he joined the Jets, uh, I think that's that adds another layer of expectations and all that, you know, and it. It's a show of respect by Aaron Rodgers not taking that number. Yeah. Um, you know, there's one Broadway Joe, and even though he, I mean, he, Aaron Rodgers could take them to that level potentially, um, it, it's probably good to do it in another number. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Wazak, you're joining us here on the uh, Party Shots podcast. So how does this trade affect the draft, uh, the first round on Thursday, uh, with that now going down to the 14 instead of having 13? 
Yeah, so they're they're at number fifteen actually, and I, I yeah, and I, I think um, it, it could really affect what the Jets do because at number thirteen we're thinking basically okay they're probably going to aim for one of the offensive tackles who are uh the top guys in this draft and um now there's probably less of a shot that those guys are around guys like ohio state's paris johnson and georgia's broderick jones tennessee's darnell wright uh, another guy who's been mentioned a lot uh northwestern's peter skronsky um, who, who kind of projects as more of a guard at the NFL level, but he's in that conversation among the tackles. All four of those guys might be gone. So now you might be talking about defensive tackles um, because they need some help on the or depth, I should say, on the defensive line. Um, but but I still think um, they might need to, to get some depth at right tackle because right now what they have penciled in is Mekhi Becton, who's coming back from a knee injury. I kept him out all last season. Max Mitchell, the rookie last year, who, who looked good until he developed blood clots and had to miss the rest of the season. And then at left tackle, you have Dwayne Brown, who's who dealt with a shoulder injury all year last year, and he's up there, 37, 38 years old. So they, looking ahead down the line, they, they need some depth and some guys who could step in at tackle. Um, so I think that's how they have to look at that pick. But at 15, they might not have that. So, But who knows what Joe Douglas has up his sleeve. I mean, he brought Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. So who knows? Maybe he trades up, trades down, gets somebody else. Who knows? Uh, I, I, like anything's possible now. I think if you're a Jets fan, you're like, all right, Joe, Joe D is going to take care of it. So I think yeah. that's how you're looking at it right now. And now it's just the one second round at number 43, no, no longer having that 42-43 back-to-back uh, pick. Uh, right. How does that affect things? I, th- that'll be an interesting thing to see, too, because I think b- before today, what we we were thinking, before Monday, what we were thinking is that in the second round, they would aim for a center because they didn't have anybody. But a few hours before all the Aaron Rodgers news came down, the big news was that the Jets re-signed Connor McGovern who's been their center the past three years, durable guy who's only missed two games uh, in his three seasons. And he's a veteran and he, he's played relatively well. They, you know, he's got his faults, but it was a good option for them, a fallback option. I don't think that'll prevent them from going after a, a center um, in the, the second or third round potentially, but it gives them, um, it gives them the ability to not have to draft a center. So, uh, maybe depth at linebacker in the second round. I, I think it makes things easier because now they, you always hear these GMs talk about best available. Mm-hmm. I think now you, you have that ability to really in a second round, whoever the best available, because they could use depth all around on defense and offense. So uh, maybe a wide receiver to pair with the young guys. So we'll see. Your colleague, uh, Rob Motti, uh did a mock draft, the latest one on April 19th. Uh, we'll probably do one more, one more before uh, we get the podcast up. But he has uh, quarterbacks going with the first two picks. Carolina taking C.J. Stroud of Ohio State and Houston Texans going with Bryce Young of Alabama. Uh, do you agree with that or you you have a different order? Yeah, I think Bryce Young is going to go number one. I, I just like everything about him. I know there's knocks on his size and we hear about that, but I like his makeup. I like his ability to make plays. He's a playmaker. He comes from a great system. Um, I, I think that's where 
Carolina's looking. I, I think either way, it's it's hard to knock what Carolina might do if they take C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. But I think it's going to be Bryce Young um, with that number one pick. Um, there are no Trevor Lawrence's, Andrew Lux in this draft, so there's nobody who is the, the no-doubt number one this year. Um, but I think... Carolina has done a lot of work, obviously, on those guys, and I just, I just think Young will be the guy in Carolina. Well, it'll be a lot of fun. He'll be busy this weekend, of course. Uh, whenever the uh, press conference happens with uh, Aaron Rodgers, you'll be there. It's uh, no rest for the weary, my friend. That's right. It's been a crazy off season, and at least this is a big piece of that. That's finally solved and taken care of, and then now we can move forward. We know, we know now, know that. Aaron Rodgers will be the Jets quarterback. Let's just, let's just pray that there's, the trade doesn't fall through and we have to do oh, it. Oh, <laughs> come on, Ed. Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, speaking of which, I remember in 2012, the Jets traded for Tim Tebow and it was crazy, and then the trade got held up and we were all in limbo for like eight hours until it finally went through. So uh, anything can happen. So, yeah, thanks for jinxing us. Oh, well, yeah, you're welcome. Guys. I appreciate you doing this again. And uh, like I said, so, yeah, we'll talk again once we get now toward the season uh, as we get uh, closer to the start of uh, the, the training camp and all that fun stuff. It's going to be uh, – the Jets will be interesting to watch. I mean, the Giants won't be the only uh, game in town. And with the Jets going on, Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe they supersede the Giants a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. It definitely will be fun. It'll be uh, – it should be a good season in New York for football for sure. Thanks again. Appreciate it, my friend, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Ken. Thank you. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Clarkson Hockey play-by-play announcer Bob Allfield, and you're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast, and Will Springs Ed is here for his weekly visit of talking college across in the capital region. And Will, I think the big news coming out of the uh, last weekend was the Siena men coming back to beat the league leader in the MAC, Mount St. Mary's. The cardiac kids strike again. This team plays better with its back against the wall than it does without it. So uh, that was a victory they needed, and on to the MAC tournament they go. Yeah, they get to host uh, Sacred Heart on Saturday. I mean, I, I, who really who expected that going? I mean. I think when we talked, we were thinking that there's no chance in heck that they're going to beat Mount St. Mary's. And we talked about how strong they were their first year in in the MAC. And we know Maryland's a strong lacrosse state. And 
somehow they managed to pull it off. You know, we were talking about all the scores that the Siena men have, and they came to the front because in that game, Mount St. Mary's won about 85% of the faceoffs. I mean, if you had told me that Mount St. Mary's would do that and then lose the game, mm -hmm. I'd have been shocked. But Siena can put so many guys into the scoring column, they're a real threat. Now they take on, as we've mentioned, Sacred Heart, a team they beat 11-8 uh, on March 11th. Uh, it's the first round of the MAC tournament uh, on Saturday at 12 noon at Hickey Field. What do they have to do to uh, you know, get past Sacred Heart and get to um, the semifinals? I think just focus on what they've been doing. They've been scoring and they've been playing with a, a sense of urgency uh, that maybe wasn't there in some of those earlier season losses that we thought would be wins. I think they're understanding now just what it takes every single game. I would imagine they have a good scout from the win over Sacred Heart. And uh, then once they get to the semis, if they're that lucky, then it gets tougher. Yeah. I mean, they're 7-6 and six on the year. Uh, uh, pretty pretty nice year for the, for them coming off a six and nine record last year. It is they they certainly have the skill and the talent and it's good for Coach Liam Gleason to uh, to start showing an upward trend on that team. Well, the Siena women are don't play again until May fifth uh, and they have a semifinal, but they're waiting on the uh, matchup Sunday in the uh, quarterfinals, uh, Mount St Marys and Niagara and Canisius and Quinnipiac to see how things shape up there for the, their opponent uh, in the MAC tournament semifinal. We will. I, you know, we spoke last week about uh, you can have the waiting game go one of two ways, and I, I'm, I'm starting to convince myself that maybe it's not a great way to wait all that time. Uh, it's it's so tough to maintain your focus. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. We'll talk maybe a little bit more about that once we know uh, Sienna's opponent, opponent on next week's uh, podcast. Let's move over to uh, UAlbany and the women's team uh, clinching home field and uh, the, they'll host the uh, American East Tournament May 5th and 7th after uh, they beat New Hampshire 16-11 on Saturday to uh, you know, wrap up. They have one game remaining against Bryant, a possible uh, opponent for the playoffs. Bryant right now is sitting in a tie for fourth place. They could eliminate Bryant with the victory. But, I mean, I think we yeah, when they got that, we talked about this again last week about the beating Vermont in the opener, and it just seems they've really rolled in conference play since then. They really have. They've played with great confidence. Um, this Bryant team is interesting. Uh, you could say to yourself, well, well, we'll take it easy. We have the number one spot secured. Let's not tax ourselves too much, except they're going to have to tax themselves. Bryant is first in the league in goals. They're first in the league in, uh, in, in assists. Uh, they put a lot of shots on goal, much like Albany. Um, in a lot of these offensive categories, it's Bryant and Albany. So how's Bryant 2-3 and three in conference play if they're scoring all these goals? It's a good question. That I don't know. Their, their defensive numbers are not terrible. Um, I imagine they probably, like most teams with a high offense, maybe get a little sloppy at times in the turnovers. Uh, that's something that UAlbany is quite good at as far as turnover ratio. So I think that might be the key for Albany this Saturday. Yeah, look at a couple of their losses. I mean, Vermont, they lost 17-7. Uh, to A non-conference game against Brown, they lost 21-13. They lost to Binghamton 19-7. They... They won it against LIU, another non-conference, with 20 to 14. There's there some close games in there. They've given up you know, their opening game against Holy Cross. They lost 20 to 14. So it's a matter of if they can, if they can't play good defense, they're probably not going to beat you, Albany. 
Exactly. UAlbany has so many good scores, as we've spoken about, and they've been playing without Sean Lee Wallace for the better part of the last two games. The uh, University of Oregon transfer, who's done so well for them, uh, I don't know the status uh, of her going into Bryant, but certainly if UAlbany can play this well without her, once they get her back, that makes them just that much more formidable. Yeah. Going over to the men there at UAlbany, the uh, Great Danes clinching uh, a spot in the American East Tournament uh, semifinals on May 4th uh, with their Sunday victory over Merrimack 13-11. Uh, that was coming two days after losing to uh, 19th-ranked Yale 14-6. And they got a non-conference game Wednesday against 12th-ranked Penn, their final home game of the regular season. Our final, Yeah, final home game of the regular season. So, and they have one more uh, conference game next on on Saturday at Binghamton. But for them to wrap things up, at least you know they know what they're you know, they're in the, the postseason. I mean, how good is that for the Great Danes? That's very good. It's uh, it was a team that uh, sort of needed to find an identity throughout the year, and I think they they found one. It's gonna, it's going to be a very blue. It was a very blue collar hard-working team. Sometimes that was going to be enough, sometimes it wasn't. But now they know who they are and they know what they have to do as they go into Binghamton and then maybe looking at it realistically, it's probably going to be Vermont they're going to face in the American East Tournament. Well, if they end up you know, beating Binghamton, they could go in that number three, third spot, and then they could face Bryan in that uh, semifinal game. They could. That's true. It, it is still a possibility. And uh, not that Bryan uh, certainly gave them a hard time in their loss. And uh, um, I, I think both the teams present a little bit of a problem for the Great Danes, but just get down to defense and get down to knowing what you can do. Let's move over to uh, Union now, and uh, they had a nice overtime victory at Ithaca in Liberty League play, 10-9 on this past Saturday, and they wrap up the regular season uh, this Saturday at Vassar. But how big was that win at Ithaca? That was the biggest win they could have had. Um, they needed to win on the road against a team that's always good, a team that was honoring its seniors that day, and uh, they need to make sure that they stayed focused throughout the game and it was a close game and then when overtime came Justin Green stepped up and they've, they've had some guys step up in the absence of Peter Burns and Michael Shaw not a lot of goals, but they do step up. So I think that's a positive trend as they head toward the Liberty League tournament. They're right now in a three-way tie for third with the Clarkson and St. Lawrence. Clarkson has a tiebreaker on Union, and Union has a tiebreaker on St. Lawrence. Uh, so there's a lot of juggling going on. I mean, a Union win could possibly put them in, in the semifinals, and if a loss, you know, they'll be playing in the first round. It is, and I think uh, it, it could shape up. I'm, I'm, as we said, there are a few ways they could go. I imagine uh, they're probably going to end up as a likely fourth seed, I think, and, and possibly hosting St. Lawrence. Again, they've got the win over St. Lawrence. They know what they have to do. But even if they were to, say, face a Clarkson, um, again, mm -hmm. you, if that was a one-goal game, and I think uh, Union... Uh, while it certainly wishes it had more guys available, now knows what it needs to do to win these games. And you have to remember that, that this is my, I forgot that the Liberty League's taking six teams this year to the uh, postseason. So, you know, that's, you know, Union would like to be able to have that home game against St. Lawrence uh, instead of if you know, they don't want to go on the road, obviously, especially with their offensive struggles this year. Uh, meanwhile, the women, uh, they're going to get ready to. Uh, yeah, wrap up their season. They have a game Wednesday night at Bard, a Liberty League contest, and they finish out 
on Saturday at Rochester. Uh, looking at their, they lost away. They had suffered uh, two losses uh, last weekend, uh, 13-9 to RIT in a probably game they should have won. Uh, ran into a hot goaltender and some struggles offensively, and then a, a game against one of the top teams in the country, William Smith, a 16-5 setback. We kind of knew that that was going to be a struggle. But uh, I mean, how much does that RIT loss hurt? I think that hurt a little bit. They're they're currently sixth, but still in good shape for the top seven. Uh, which is a strange thing that the Liberty League this year is taking seven for the women's tournament, only six for the men. But, um, however, <laughs> they think okay. about that. But um, I think uh, the Union women uh, would wish they had the RI team game back. You look at the William Smith game, it was a nine to one second quarter for William Smith. You take that away, and honestly, they played the Herons yeah. about as well as anyone has, but William Smith showed why it's the second ranked team in the country. Yeah, barred uh, the, their opponent on Wednesday night, 0 and 9 in uh, Liberty League play. So you don't want to say it's a guaranteed win because you've got to play the game and you don't want to take it lightly, but uh, Union's got to come out and uh, you know take care of business and just take control of that game and not let Bard uh, get any chances. Exactly, and uh, as we were speaking about earlier, there seems to be a glut of uh, teams right around where Union is, and Rochester is one of those teams, so even if they beat Bard, uh, they have to know, it's they have to treat this week as win-win uh, because uh, everyone's right there vying for those spots. Yeah, and we one team we should, you know, we haven't really talked about this year is the men the RPI men's team, but they're in second place. I mean, having a nice year. I mean, it's kind of I mean, is, is that sort of a surprise? It is a surprise. Um, they're not a flashy team offensively. Um, defensively, they had one of their best games all year against Union, but they are showing that that's going to be their forte. Um, they're not going to wow you offensively, but it's been enough to get them in second place in the Liberty League and. Uh, I think that Liberty League is showing nationally why it has the reputation it does. And it, this may be something that behooves Union College. You can lose a game, but your league is so strong, you may well get one of those at-large bids for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, we'll talk more about that as we get the weeks go and see how things shape out with the tournament. So, um, yeah, like I said, great job by the engineers so far, but yeah, still, I mean, Who's going to beat RIT? <laughs> I think you're right. I, I think RIT looks a little too strong. I mean, six and zero in a conference, uh, fifteen and one overall, and ten game winning streak, defending national champions. It's uh, it's going to be a tough road. Who somebody's really got to earn it to beat RIT. Got to play well and somehow catch RIT on an off day, which uh, I don't think they usually have. <laughs> they don't. So, well, we'll talk more next week. I guess we get closer. We'll have, to have, have a better idea of uh, how the tournaments are shaping up around uh, the Capital Region for the, for the teams, and then uh, we'll talk again. Sounds good. All right, that's Will Springset of the Gazette. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle, and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity from the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. 
Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Matt Dubray, the play-by-play voice of Union College Hockey. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor, Ken Shaw. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 10 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest was Mary Sitterly of Schenectady with 40 points. Mary wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Mary! The VIP winner was Scott Lucier of Capital Land GMC with 25 points. I'll announce the auto racing contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the auto racing contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on how COVID-19 is affecting us in the Capital Region. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this situation. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated or a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Dennis Wazak Jr. and Will Springstead for coming on the show. On next week's podcast, we'll preview the Kentucky Derby with Gazette sports writer Mike Begatum, who will be at Churchill Downs to cover the race this year for us. Of course, that's the start of the Triple Crown. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports. And as I close the podcast, I want to salute singer, actor, and activist Harry Belafonte, who died Tuesday at the age of 96. Here is his most famous song, the Banana Boat song. You know it. Dale! Rest in peace, Harry.